If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free just to take, uh, grab one. You can borrow it if you need to borrow it or if you need to take it because you don't have a Bible that you can easily read and understand. Perfect. It's our gift to you. No problem. Uh, if you do have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs again. And so I want to invite you to turn to chapter 25, Proverbs 25. And as you're doing that, what I'd like for us to do is take just a moment to pray together and um, ask for God's help in understanding his word. Can you do that with me? Uh, Father, it's good. It's for me. It's really encouraging to hear paper shuffling as Proverbs 25 kind of comes into view. And what we need here is not the opinion or advice of any person. God, we need to hear from you. And so by your spirit, would you come and speak to us in a way that makes sense to us, helps us work through the things that we need to work through and and, uh, deal with the things that we need to deal with. Um, By your spirit, would you uh, confront us as we need to be confronted? And would you help us uh, to know um, how we are to live in light of that? God, we don't want to be the same people. And so change us by your word, by your spirit. Would you change us into who you want us to be? And so we commit this time to you now and pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. All right. Okay, uh, again, Proverbs chapter 25, if you have your Bibles. Now, uh, we're going to jump to three different um, verses. Two of them are in 25, and then one's in 24. So kind of keep your uh, finger there. And they all really relate around this, uh, this idea, the, the phrase that we'll see a lot is honey, is honey. And we're going to use these to kind of launch off, because today we're going to complete the God and the Everyday series, and we're going to talk, we talked about work and how it relates to that, and we talked about play and how God, how we experience God in the midst of play, had a testimony earlier, just from somebody caught me earlier and said, I've never thought about that, thank you for helping us with that. Uh, last week, Kyle talked about how God and how we experience him as it relates to this whole idea of rest, and everybody went home and took naps to the glory of God, amen? Yes and yes. Um, and today we get to talk about how we experience God in the everyday area of food. And I just want to congratulate you on knowing that this was coming and you still showing up. I'm really impressed. Way to go. Uh, and so there are two theological um, foundations for what we've been talking about. I'll cover these very briefly. Um, One is is that God is worthy of our everyday lives. So the normal warp and woof of who we are, all of the stuff that happens in our normal rhythms, God is worthy of that. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, um, uh, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So there are ways that we eat and drink and work and play and rest and all the other things that we can do in a way that is worshipful, that, in, that brings God glory. Secondly, is that God is not only worthy of our everyday lives, but he also is with us in our everyday lives. Matthew 28, verse 20 says uh, that, uh, uh, that he is with us even to the end of the age. I mean, to the very, very end of it all. He's going to be with us no matter what. There's not a place where you will go. There's not a day that you will have, and there's not a problem that you will encounter that you cannot say, hey, God is with me in this. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's never going to leave you ever. So because he's with us all the time and because he's worthy of us all the, uh, of our worship all the time, that's where we um, picked up this whole idea of experiencing God in the everyday portions of our lives. So three different avenues today, okay? Three different avenues, and they all start with the same letter because Casey Jackson said I needed to start everything with the same letter. It's all your fault, sort of. Uh, th- but three different avenues that I want us to think about when it comes to interacting and, and experiencing God and food, okay? First one, Proverbs 25, look at verse 27. 
It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. So he puts these two things in parallel, right? The second one is easier to understand. It's not good to seek uh, one's own glory. In other words, it's not good to be prideful. Um, How often actually is it good to be prideful? How often? Like never, like it's never good uh, to be prideful. So the parallel of that is uh, it's not good to eat much honey. And what the principle I think he's pointing to here, and we can just hold on to this for just a second. There are things that are more important than food. Amen. Amen. Nobody's saying that. But there are. There are things that are more important than food. Just as it's not right to be prideful, it's also not right to lock on and think food is uh, all that there is, right? And so he puts those things in parallel. And because there are things that are more important than food, um, when we abstain from food or when we uh, choose to interact with it in this way and experience in God, the Bible has a word for that. You know what that word is? Fasting. Let's go ahead and get the hard one out of the way. Everybody good with that? Fasting. And so um, when it comes to fasting, uh, that there are things that are more important than food, I'll give you just a definition here because some of you didn't grow up around church or you're not sure uh, what all this means. It is abstinence. Fasting is abstinence from something that you live on, typically food, and it's for spiritual purposes. It's not for medical purposes or other thing. When the Bible talks about fasting, it talks about uh, abstinence, abstaining from something that you live on, and it's typically food. That's how the Bible speaks of it. Some of us have things that we actually love more than food. Amen. No, nobody's cracking. There are, there are pieces of technology in your pocket that you may, you may forget to eat before you forget to look at your phone. There may be things that are more important than food, but typically it's food. Abstaining from something that you live on, I would just add, for spiritual purposes. That would be something to hold on to. Why is this uh, important? Well, the purpose of this is that it teaches us that we really actually don't live by bread alone, and our body doesn't have to have everything that it demands. Have you noticed that your body makes a lot of demands on you? Fasting teaches us you don't, you don't, uh, you don't get everything you want. That's, that's, what, uh, that's what fasting tells us. It trains our body that it doesn't have to have everything that it wants. So keep your finger here in Proverbs 25. Turn to the right. Took the book of Matthew. It's the very first gospel. If you see red letters start popping up, you're in the right place. Um, chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. Just a couple of things here um, pretty close together in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No kidding. Verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus, he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here is Jesus telling us, reminding us, that there are things that are more important than food. Forty days I've been out here. Forty days. I could command that rock right there to become a loaf of bread. And there are things that are more important than that. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from uh, comes out of the mouth of God. So turn maybe a page or two to the right to Matthew chapter six. 
Look at verse 16. Jesus is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. And listen to what he says, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, we would say something like, brush your teeth and take a shower. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. Why, why did I put those two things um, before us here? Because what we need to see here is that uh, there's a... There's a um, it really does. Fasting teaches us as we experience God in the middle of this avenue of relating to food called fasting, what we find out is there really are things that are more important than food. There really are. There's, and the Bible, it, well, let's just, can we look at it together in Matthew 6? In my particular translation, the same word appears twice. It's the second word of verse 16 and the second word of verse 17. Can anybody tell me what that word may be? When, not if. And when you fast, what's the... It, it just assumes that you, Jesus is just going to assume that you will when you fast, when you do these things, when you fast, when you fast. So the, the expectation of fasting was and is real. Jesus, a few chapters later, got caught up in a conversation. Hey, your disciples don't fast like the rest of us. Hey, listen, when the bridegroom's here, when the party's going on, people don't fast. When I leave and get up out of here, guess what? Then they will fast. I mean, this is just an expectation in the New Testament of how we do it. And you think to yourself, well, how in the world am I going to meet God if I am miserable as I'm fasting? I'm just real practical here. Just a couple of things. If you've never done this before, I would just encourage you to think about this, uh, that maybe you eat lunch and then skip dinner and skip breakfast and eat lunch again, 24-hour fast. And every time when you fast, your stomach will... It feels like about every 30 seconds. It's a great opportunity to remind you to pray. Your body responds, and you can pray as your body responds. Just real simple. I'm going to start here, and I'm going to end here, and every time my stomach kind of does that thing, I'm going to go, Lord, more than food, I need you. God, I'm, I'm praying for this particular situation. There's a marriage out there that I care about or a kid out there that I care about or a sickness out there that's striking somebody. And so every time, God, I'm saying... I want you to move in that situation more than I want to eat right now. That's why I'm fasting. It tends to add an exclamation point, if you will, um, to the end of our prayer. Spiritually, what it does is it focuses us on God's sufficiency that we come to know, not just believe or give lip service to, but we actually come to know that God is better than food. The focus is God's sufficiency and then my dependence on Him. And that's most often expressed in prayer. And as we fast and as we pray, God uses it in a powerful way um, for the sake of His kingdom and ministry. So we pray and we fast and we see God do things out there. And so um, there's this particular story, last part we'll talk about here, but there's a particular story. Jesus is up on the mountain, comes down with Peter, James, and John. Uh, there's a little kid who's sick. He's demon-possessed. He's got epilepsy. Disciples can't heal him. Jesus uh, uh, speaks to the dad. The dad's like, oh man, if you can do anything, please help me. If I can, all things are possible. 
the guy, dad just goes, oh man, I believe, just help my unbelief. Which, man, have we been there before? Jesus heals the kid. Disciples come to him later and be like, hey, chief, what happened? We did some stuff before, but like not this one. And Jesus says, these kind only come out, and the, the, the issue can only be fixed. Healing can only come with, with prayer. And many of the manuscripts actually say prayer and fasting. Okay, And so you've got this sense in which you have to be fully engaged in order to step into the spiritual battle at that point. And you can kind of, me in my mind, I hear Peter, he speaks up, he goes, yeah, but Jesus, had we known that we were going to encounter a demon-possessed boy, we would have fasted. And Jesus does that thing where he kind of looks down over his glasses, be like, because who knows what Tuesday holds? Anybody? I mean, I know what's on your outlook, but does anybody actually know what Tuesday holds? So building fasting into your regular rhythm will help you experience God and experience the power that he unleashes through people who are committed to this kind of thing and train themselves that there is something more important than food. Fasting. Aren't you glad we got the hard one out of the way? Everybody good now? Okay? Okay. All right. Back in Proverbs 25. Uh, Look at verse um, uh, 16. So we've said, it's not good to eat much honey. So we, you know, there are things more important than food. Verse 16, 25, 16. If you found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. <laughs> Which I'm just, that's funny to me. I don't know. Maybe it's the junior high boy in me. I'm not so sure. But I'm like, eat enough honey. How much honey can you eat? How much? And finally, yeah, I don't know. Is that weird? It's weird. I get it. Yes, it's weird. Okay. If you found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit. And I think what the principle we want to pull from here is we need to approach, this is the vast majority of the way that the Bible talks about food. Food is fuel. Food is the fuel that our bodies use to do the things that God has given us to do and serve in the ways that he he, uh, wants us to. So a couple of temptations here, probably you can identify these. Number one, temptation number one, to overload on fuel. Anybody with me on that? Uh, The temptation, if food is fuel, then I just overload with fuel. The problem is, is that the performance then gets pretty sluggish if I'm loaded down with too much fuel, or I am incapable of actually doing the things that God has uh, given me to do. I just, I just, it doesn't work. Uh, I know we've got arrow people in here and even a pilot or five or 12, um, uh, you, you plane, uh, plane goes up, um, has some sort of situation in the air. Before they come back and land, they got to dump some fuel, right? Why? Because they, they don't want to be coming in loaded down like that, right? And so they can't do what they need to do in the moment because there's too much fuel on board. So with food, sometimes I think uh, the temptation is to overload. And the second temptation um, is to uh, put the wrong kind of fuel in, Anybody ever stuck gasoline in a diesel engine? Doesn't go very well. Certainly not for very long. You just you you load yourself with the wrong kind of fuel. I am not a dietitian. I have no advice for you whatsoever. Okay. Just know that to load up on the wrong kind of fuel limits the kind of service that you can do for the sake of Jesus in His kingdom. Um, here's the question, and you could have guessed those, but here's the question. Why, why is this so critical? Why is, 
Why are you spending so much time talking about fuel? Like, this makes sense. Okay, let's move on. Why is it so critical? I just, can I ask it this way? Um, just a quick survey here. What are a few of the things that God commands us to do? Can we just take a little interactive participatory moment here? What are some of the things that God's, God commands us to do? I'll give us one. God commands us to worship him. Okay. Somebody else. God commands us to, to pray. Okay. God commands us to love your neighbor, to tell others about him. God commands us to study his word. God commands us to one more. Witness. Okay. So all of these things that we just mentioned, right? Where do all of, how do all of these things get fulfilled? The answer is in my body. <laughs> the reason this is so important, you're thinking this is really obvious. No, 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 no. It's really important that we grasp this. Jesus never commands us to do anything separate from our body. He commands me to worship. How does he want me to worship? in my body, right? He tells me to lift up my hands and to clap and to sing and to, to give vocal uh, praise to him and to stand before the Lord or kneel before the Lord or bow before the Lord. Every one of those is a bodily movement, so much so that Paul will pick this up later in Romans 12 and say what? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, for this is your spiritual act of worship. God commands us to pray. That's exactly right. Anybody ever fallen asleep while you were trying to pray? Anybody? Don't raise your hand, you bunch of sinners. No, I'm just teasing. Yes, but what does the Bible do? It talks about, First uh, Timothy 2, I want men everywhere to lift up their hands in prayer. It's, it's hard. It's hard to fall asleep when your hands are lifted in prayer. It talks about kneeling to pray. Or Jesus, his favorite posture of prayer, did you know what it was? He lifted his eyes to the heavens. Those are all bodily things. God commands us to love and serve our neighbor. How are you going to do that apart from your body? God commands us to share the gospel. How does that happen? If I write somebody a note and share the gospel, I'm still using my body. If I fire off an email, still using my body. I cannot telepath them the gospel. It has to come out of my mouth. Speaking of mouth, the, the way that you speak and the things that you say, all of that's he commands us to be kind with our words and to build others up with our words. All of that happens bodily. He never commands us to do something separate from our bodies. Why are you hammering this? Because, because it matters. This is one of the places where we experience God as we understand food as fuel is that we say, hey, this is an important thing. I'm taking care of the very vessel by which God will accomplish his plan and will through me. The, the focus then is on God's provision for us and the appropriate response of ours is gratitude. Focus is on God's provision and the appropriate response is gratitude. It's why before you eat, you pray, God, thank you for food. It's why uh, at different times, you know, there are just moments where you can say, hey, God, you gave me this, and my response is thank you so much for this. Whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, it doesn't really matter. Just, God, thank you for this. God's provision and our gratitude. Last thing, this is the one in, in chapter 24, so it's on the same page in my Bible, but it's 24 verse 13. 
So we've done, it's not good to eat honey. And if you find honey, eat only enough. And then verse 13. We've talked about fasting. We've talked about fuel. Verse 13 of chapter 24, 24, 13. My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. One avenue of how we relate to God in the area of food and experience Him is fasting. Another avenue, we just the normal way that we walk it out is God, is, God has given us food as fuel. And the last one is, every so often, there, the principle I draw from this is we ought to enjoy the things that God has given us. And we, the Bible has a word for that, feasting. God, God gives us a feast. Now, um, when you... There are all sorts of feasts described in the Bible. I would say that this is kind of an expected thing, not necessary, uh, certainly not all the time. If you feast all the time, what do we call that? Gluttony, that's what we call it, you sinners. Uh, no, just kidding. You call it gluttony, but um, it, that's, it's expected but not necessary. The definition of feasting, I think it carries throughout the whole Bible, is this. It is a lavish ceremonial meal enjoyed with guests. I asked one of our people, hey, uh, what do you think of when I say the word feast? And they said, Thanksgiving overeating. I'm not really, that's not really what we're after. This is a lavish ceremonial meal. That's what we're talking about. Um, that is enjoyed with guests. A lavish ceremonial meal that's enjoyed with guests. So uh, let's just kind of break that definition down. Lavish, lavish, okay? So when you think lavish, at least in my particular context, that is we have more than one cup, right, at the table. Like you've got a water glass along with some other stuff, right? Like you're not breaking out the, the, uh, the Dixie plates from the bottom of the... No, no, you're... you're Breaking out the china. I mean, there's good stuff that's coming out. A lavish and then a ceremonial meal, meaning there is something that you are celebrating, right? There's a, a graduation that has happened or a wedding or a birth or something, right? There's, there's a reason that you get together and your joy is so effusive that you look around and be like, it's not just going to be me at this party. No, 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 no. We're going to draw some people in. So come on. Hey, you over there. Come on, come on. Come on. Let's, let's feast together. Let's feast together. A lavish ceremonial meal that is enjoyed with guests. And it takes, here's the part about feasting is, um, it takes time. The reason it's different than overeating, because at least uh, at some people's Thanksgiving tables, you know, you eat, you eat, you eat, you eat, and you're like, oh good, football's on, right? And then you jump up because football's on, right? And so uh, you, you don't, I mean, take time to relax and talk and just let it happen, right? Hours. Some of the feasts in the Old Testament will last for days. There's a function of time in this lavish ceremonial meal that is enjoyed by guests. So what's the purpose? The purpose is simply to celebrate with others the goodness of God. Um, there is a with others component. You've got to be careful about who you uh, celebrate with. Um, Proverbs 23, the verse, first eight or so verses of Proverbs 23 talks about that particularly. Uh, but the purpose is to celebrate with others. And spiritually, the focus goes something like this. God has been really, really good to us, and my response is this kind of effusive and invitational joy. My, my focus when I feast is on God's goodness. And then I've got this joy that just expands outward and wraps people in to celebrate along with me. 
And the reason I think it's important for us to talk about feasting and the goodness of God and the joy that we have is this, because it's a pointer, it's a sign to something that's coming. You want to know how to experience God in the middle of your feasting? I think that's it's good to feast. I think every so couple times a year, maybe you just need to throw an all-out shindig at your house. I think that's a good plan. But to have this kind of focus on His goodness and the joy that envelops others along with us points us to something. There's there's some gospel in there. How do I know that? Well, in Ephesians chapter two, verse seven. Can we get that verse up? Ephesians two, verse seven. It says this, so that in the coming ages, he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The way I read that, I mean, it's a mouthful, but the way I read that, when I, when I meet God in eternity, if I'm in Christ Jesus, what is going to be on display is an is a just massive outpouring of the riches, immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. That sounds like a party. And then John picks this up in Revelation 19. He says it this way. And the angel said to me, write these things. Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. A feast. The very picture of us connecting with God in eternity is the picture of a feast. So when we practice this, we're kind of pointing to something that's coming. So spiritually then, when it comes to feasting, our focus focus is on God's goodness and the enveloping, effusive joy that comes along with it. So I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't ask you a couple of questions as we close. Ready? Question number one. Do you, do you have a plan for consistently walking in all three of these avenues? Do you have a plan for what it looks like in your life to fast? Do you have a plan for what it looks like to consistently view food as fuel? Do you have a plan? Maybe you need to make a plan where you just set a time where we're going to feast. We're going to invite people over and celebrate his goodness toward us. And, and, and the joy that we experience is going to envelop. Do you have a plan to walk in all three of these avenues? That's question number one. Question number two, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't ask. You ready? Do you have anything in your life relating to food that you need to repent of? An attitude, an approach, something that you need to change. That's what repentance means. It just means to change, to rethink the way that you think in light of that. You have a plan to consistently walk in these three avenues. And do you have something in your life that you need to repent of concerning this area of food? I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, have just a moment to respond here, okay? Uh, Jesus, thank you that um, you came to earth and you experienced all of these. You feasted, you fasted, you lived a life where you just kind of consumed as needed fuel to get through your day. I'm so grateful that you modeled for this, for us, all of this. And God, as a gathered people today, we've heard your word now. We're praying, I'm praying for all of us, that by your spirit you would take it 
and press it down on us. Don't leave us unconfronted in areas that we need your confrontation. And Jesus, please don't leave us um, kind of still limping along. Would you help us in other areas where we need your help? In particular, where we think about this time of year and things are coming to a close and there are markers of celebration that we get to launch people into new seasons of life. I pray that as we feast together over the next several weeks, there would be moments where we enjoy your goodness toward us. And it would just wrap other people in. Pray for that. God, I pray that uh, many of us would take the time to think about and how uh, and even plan it and make strides towards building fasting into our lives so that when we do encounter things that are beyond us, we can walk in power, power that you provide. Help us with that too. We commit our lives to you now, even as we get ready to respond in song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.